Hey everybody, this is Pastor Chad, and you are listening to the Way Radio Podcast. I'm really excited about this episode because about a month ago, I received an email from a man, and he said, Hello, my name is Ben Blank. I'm from Venice, Florida, and we need to talk as soon as possible. Something is happening to me, and I'd love to discuss it. I thought about getting on a flight to Idaho today, not joking. Please call me when you can, Chad. God has blessed you with a gift. Sincerely, Ben. So I was really struck by the email, and I decided to call him that afternoon. We had a long conversation, and I was just inspired by what he shared. Uh, He has been totally set free from uh, addiction, from alcoholism, and from the cult that he was trapped in through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way that he came to be transformed by the gospel just touched my heart. It was just, it's a beautiful story. So we've been talking off and on over the last month, and I decided uh, it would be a very good idea to have him on the podcast because I think what he shares and his testimony will be a great inspiration and a great blessing to everyone who hears it. Uh, So please listen in. This episode is about an hour long, a little longer than usual, and then there's going to be an episode two uh, because there is so much for Ben to share, and there's so many questions that I have for him, and I know it'll be a blessing to everyone. So please listen in, and episode two should be out hopefully about a week after this episode. Ben, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Honored to be here. Thank you. Why don't you, uh, if you could, just give us a little bit of your background. Let us know why you and I are, you know, communicating now and what brought this about. Okay. Well, first of all, um, I, uh, I, I was born in the Midwest. Uh, I was raised uh, in a very um, liberal uh, family. My mother and father were both um, college educated. Uh, my dad ended up uh, eventually getting his uh, PhD in child psychology and uh my mother had a master's degree in uh fine arts and uh it was a home of um uh there was no church there was no um talk of god um if anything if there was any books on the shelf my parents were pretty openly uh into marxism this would be uh in the early 1980s um so they were very very intelligent uh, people, but they were into this communist kind of revu- uh, revolution that was going on at the time that I was unaware of. But uh, one thing that I did know at the time was that we had three cats, and they were all given um, communist uh, names: uh, Meow Seitung, Nikitty Krishnikov, and uh, Yvette. So this was this is what I'm setting up for: is that this was the family I was raised in. Growing up, they were very loving. Um, there was a lot of um, infidelity going on. There was a lot of uh, things that, even as a child, I understood these things are wrong. There wasn't any alcohol abuse. There was no physical abuse, but there was just a lot of uh, mental abuse going on there. So, you know, I had no exposure whatsoever to church. I didn't go on Christmas. I didn't go with my, my grandparents. Uh, it was just something that um, you know set me apart from other children. To fast forward, um, one pinnacle moment I had was when uh, my grandfather passed when I was about 12 years old. And 
my father came home that day and he, he came home to tell me what had happened and uh, I told him I said grandpa must have died and he said yeah how do you know and I said I don't know I think God told me and uh, I remember I went into the backyard and two of my friends uh, came up to me and uh, were trying to basically console me and for, for some reason um, one of them said well he's with God now and uh, I got really upset at that idea and I remember I, I got to a pretty physical argument uh, with both my friends at the time and uh, just from that point on I, I just remember having this feeling of uh, a the existence that God was real uh, but also that he was not a uh, God that I wanted anything to do with so my teenage years were basically filled with everything from I was arrested for um, uh, possession of heroin uh, in Chicago. Uh, this would have been in my by the time I was sixteen. Uh, I was arrested for a home invasion charge related to heroin. I had been in multiple fights. Um, my jaw broken. House arrest. I was about as rebellious a teenager that there was. Um, one thing I did leave out is that my parents in that time also um, divorced. Further. Uh, further just kind of leading me down this uh, this road of just not really having anything uh, to base my thoughts or feelings off of. It was just, um, by the time I was a late teenager, it was just whatever came my way, came my way, and I was going to do it. And that's pretty much the way I lived through my 20s also. Um, I was a bartender in Chicago. Uh, it was in a couple of relationships that resulted in... Um, a child that was aborted. I was um, drinking heavily, using a lot of cocaine at the time. Close close friend of mine uh, in my late twenties ended up um, dying from a heart attack from cocaine, which uh, just further kind of spiraled me down further and further. By the time I was thirty, um, I had already been into uh, a alternative kind of. Uh, yoga on the beach, uh, well, you <laughs> to the 30 day fat me up kind of treatment centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd already been to a couple of those. Um, and, uh, let's fast forward here just real quick to, uh, when I was, uh, 34 years old, I was dating a woman and she came to me and told me that she was, uh, pregnant. And I, at that point, uh, realized that uh, I was going to be having a son and that was going to be where I stopped drinking and drugging and I was going to get serious about my life and it, that didn't work out. Um, it just continued uh, further and further. I eventually got into steroids and bodybuilding and took that to an excess uh, where I was basically competing twice a year in bodybuilding shows uh, while drinking and drugging. Um, and trying to figure out how to be a father. What ended up happening is that uh, between all that, I kind of had a nervous breakdown, and uh, I reached out to my family for help, and no one was really there. They all pretty much did the typical, um, you know, tough love, we don't know what to say to you, so we're not going to help you kind of thing. And I ended up finding in the treatment center, and it was a two-week program um, in Portland, Oregon, and uh, I was there for uh, 14 days, and on the 12th day, 
I was pretty much ready to leave. And uh, a guy came in from Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a, a in the treatment facility. There was a, a community room, and uh, I already been used to the idea that these AA guys would kind of come in and speak. And he had the option if he wanted to stick around, he could. If not, you could go to your room and. So this guy came in and I decided, well, I'm going to go to my room because I, I really don't want to listen to any of these AA guys. I don't know anything about it. Um, they all seem to be old. They all seem to really doesn't look like they have anything in common with me. But this particular night, um, the guy that walked in looked like he could have been in the detox with me. And there was some resemblance there. Um, but I ended up leaving anyways. And after leaving, I was standing in the hallway and I heard laughter coming from the community room, which I hadn't heard before. And I walked back in and I started listening to what this guy was saying. And he was telling my story. He was telling the exact same thing of, uh, you know, the parents and growing up in a pretty much atheist family and the teenage years and trouble with the police and all the things that I went through. And he was smiling and happy and he was he was talking about his uh these these men that he sponsors and he's he's somehow miraculously it's saved from uh drinking and drugging and he was also uh we owned a small coffee shop in portland and he was a uh, principal at a charter school and i i could barely sit still i sat where i sat down i could barely sit still and before he could finish his one hour uh share uh I raised my hand and I not even understanding that you're not supposed to interrupt somebody during a testimonial. So I raised my hand and he kind of told me to wait till the end. By the time he was done uh, with his share of his testimony, <clears throat> I met with him in the hallway and I said, I need to know what uh, is going on with you. Like how, how come you're not drinking anymore? How come you're happy? How, how, how's this work? And he uh, told me to uh, read the big book. He said, do you know what it is? And I said, no, I, I don't even know what it is. And so he gave me a copy of the big book. And he's, he asked me who was picking me up in two days. And I said, uh, probably my father or, I, you know, somebody will pick me up. And uh, he said, well, I'll come pick you up. And so for the next two days, I was in this detox and I was trying to read this big book thing. And it really I really couldn't get through it. Um, I was struggling really hard to get through it. It just seemed like the wording was just uh, off. It, it, I don't know how to describe it, but um, in any case, two days later, he uh, decided or he showed up at the detox and I met him in his car and he handed me a, a larger copy of the big book and he, he asked me to open to a certain page and I can't remember what page it was. Um, but basically, it was in the, um, uh, I think it is doctor's opinion. And he had me read a paragraph and he said, do you agree with that? And I said, well, yeah, yeah. And it had some, I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but he pointed me to about three different uh, areas of the big book. And he had me read from it. You know, do you, do you uh, have allergic reaction every time, you know, you drink and so on and so forth? And, I just answered yes, yes, yes. And uh, before I knew it, he said, well, you already just you just did the first two steps, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I immediately felt like, well, wow, 
like I'm, I'm part of this uh, thing that I don't even know what it is, but I'm just following this this man that um, seemingly seems very happy to me. And from that point, he drove me to a church um, that happened to be in downtown Portland, and it was uh, um, inside of a uh, hospital. Um, and as we were coming into the hospital, I thought, well, what are we doing here? You know, and I didn't realize that there was actual chapel inside of the church or inside of the uh, hospital. So we walked in, and uh, one of the things that always stuck out to me was as we walked into this small chapel, there was a cross on the wall. And what this man said was, I, I like this place because it's a cross, and it doesn't have that whole Jesus thing on it. And I thought, well, I don't even understand what he's talking about. I have zero knowledge of the cross, Christ, God. I don't understand any of it at this point. Um, and I'm walking into this church, this chapel, and that was the very first thing I heard was at least I, that cross doesn't have Christ on it. And that was his reason for liking that chapel. So in any case, we went in and he uh, pulled up the third step prayer of Alcoholics Anonymous out of the big book. Um, and he put the book on the ground and he asked me to get on my knees, which at that point I was pretty much willing to do anything. I, I uh, wasn't sure what was uh, going to happen next, but he asked me to join hands with him and he said the Lord's, or he said the third step prayer. Um, and at the time I had no idea what it was or what it meant. <clears throat> I was, I, I just remember I was emotional. I had tears uh, rolling down my face. And uh, when it was over, it was the very first moment where I thought maybe this whole thing is, is a God related thing. You know, not just my alcoholism, but there was that flicker. I just remember feeling like maybe, maybe this isn't just this crazy world that I've been living in and that we're all living in. Maybe this is deeper. And I, I give credit. Um, folks, one thing I want to explain is, is Ben's talking about the big book. He's talking about the book that's called Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, if you've gone to our website, you've seen, I've written about that book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And then, Ben, I don't want you to forget where you were, but I just want to interject these points because I think it's important for people to hear. The doctor's opinion, basically what I think Ben is getting to, is it says, uh, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. And this is where the disease concept began and Alcoholics Anonymous. So very important to realize that's where that started. And then also, uh, the other point was, it's very common for people in AA, the leaders in AA, uh, to reject anything to do with Christ, just like you saw with that guy when mm -hmm. he went in. He said he wanted nothing to do with Christ. That's very common. Yes. And then also the third step prayer, I'll try to find it. You can continue. I think... Well, and I think it starts with God. I offer myself to Thee to, to yeah do to with off me. It, yeah, yeah. Um, to do with me which, as You will. I of myself am nothing. Right. Big problem with the third step prayer is people are fooled into thinking that they uh, have have accomplished in a relationship with God. Correct. At, at that point. And that's where that is really dangerous. And I think I've got some writing about that on the website as well. I'll try to find well, it. Go ahead. And, and you know these are these are points that you're making 
that I later found out through your website, which I'll get to, but you know, um, the idea that, um, you know, once I got into scripture, the understanding that no one just goes directly to God, um, without acknowledgement of Christ and salvation that we were given. So these are things that you pointed out. I think it is, um, is it John 14, six? Yeah. And the way, yeah. I mean, it, it, once I started reading further into it, it was like, wow. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, how, how yeah. badly did I get fooled? But yeah. And I want to get into that as we go forward. Let me just say the third step here yeah. and then you can continue. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, it's on page 63 of the big book or the book Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, we are now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, as we understood him. Now, this is where you get into that conceptualized God. Uh, it says, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking the step, making sure we were ready, that we could at least abandon ourselves utterly to him. And like you said, Ben, anybody that's a Christian will read that and realize there's a huge issue there because Christ is no part of it. So we'll get into that later. I I didn't want to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make those points. If you wanted also, too, I wanted to just go back to the disease because that that immediately, you know, I'm sitting in that car and never having read that before. And as I'm reading that and his follow up was, do do you agree with that? Is that do you feel that that applies to you? And I just remember there was this huge feeling of, well, yeah, I have this disease. You know, it was almost an immediate um, attachment to it. It was like, well, it, and of course there's that feeling of, well, then I'm not uh, fully responsible for these sins that I've actually been committing. I actually, I have this disease. The disease concept, I think, is one of the things that really draws you right into, in retrospect, having a man get on his knees and do a third step prayer moments later, days later, and becoming emotional because you're, you're really setting the, the, the table with this disease thing. And what, I mean, what an insult it is to people that actually have diseases. Oh yeah. Um, And it it was the same experience I had, you know, I, cause any addict alcoholic understands the, um, the guilt, uh, the remorse, the self-loathing that we live with. And then all of a sudden somebody, gives you a disease concept that you can blame it on it's like it's total relief you know yeah and so i i can totally relate to where you're coming from there so continue i won't interrupt you more well and also too with that the disease concept there's also that um idea that you're never going to get better that you have an illness and it's reinforced by every single time you walk into the rooms or the halls of alcoholics anonymous and you before you say anything you say, I'm an alcoholic. You don't say, I'm a recovered alcoholic. You don't say, I'm a recovered sinner. You don't say any of them. What you say is, I am an alcoholic. Um, yeah, it's like their first, attached, it's like their first big brainwashing hook. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely attached to it. And if, if anybody doubts that, go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, introduce yourself and not say you're an alcoholic. And within a pro, if you're at a, a, what they would call legit AA meeting, an old timer, somebody is going to yell at you or say something to you about, "Hey, are you an alcoholic?" You don't just introduce yourself with your name. You you have to attach, "I am an alcoholic." 
Yep. Um, and that's been my experience. Someone will let you know, hey, you forgot to say I'm an alcoholic. So yep. it, there's definitely that aspect to it too. But um, yeah, the, the disease thing, um, I blindly just grabbed a hold of that. I mean, I just... And they reinforce it with, well, the, you know, the American Medical Association recognized it as a disease and all these other things that go into it. And I I just kind of bought into it all, you know, and it wasn't until, um, you know, my reformation, basically my conversion that I just absolutely knew at that moment, I've never had the disease of alcoholism. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. Um, <laughs> and, and the, was, you know, the AMA stuff that you refer to, I've, I've read some of those reports. They all talk about this common behavior, or they may even say these common physiological uh, issues that exist among alcoholics and drug addicts. From what I can tell, everything I've read about that, it's because of the effects of drugs and alcohol. The disease concept that's sold through AA and the recovery industry is you're predisposed to it. It's a disease that's right. developed and carried out. But that's that's another story. Can continue forward with with what you were sharing. Well, and well, and again, like you said, uh, it, you, it even goes as far as saying, "Well, you may." I, I was remember being told you may have gotten this from your grandfather. It skips a generation. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, think, things. I think in, what I've learned is anytime someone says it skips a generation, be very cautious of what they're trying to tell you. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah. In any case, uh, yeah. So, uh, so from the, the d- disease standpoint, uh, yeah, that that's very tricky. So I, I, I would warn anybody out there um, to really question um, that idea that you have a disease of alcoholism, you have a disease of uh, heroinism, you have a disease of materialism, any any uh, ism, and you know they use the abbreviation um, in Alcoholics Anonymous for isms. Uh, uh, I'm. It's still me. I think they they use it. That's kind of the abbreviation they use for the ism part. Yeah. Uh, but and I would say another. I would che- one point yeah. I want to make real quick to warn people of to keep an eye out for too. Something else that's very similar to the disease concept is this modern movement of deliverance ministries, where people with addictions or problems or whatever it is, they go to a deliverance ministry, and instead of blaming it on a disease, they blame it on demons. And I've I had multiple people over the last four or five years come to me that have suffered horribly from these demonic deliverances that they've gone through to overcome whatever it is that they're dealing with. And it's the same kind of thing. They're taking the blame of sin and they're putting it on to demons. We'll get into that in another episode. But I just wanted to right, mention right. that, too. It's, it's the same thing. That, that, that's prevalent, too. Uh, here in Florida, there's there's uh, some deliverance churches. Um Mm-hmm. And like you said, we can get into that another time. But uh, in any case, so here's what I'll also say is just I, I was fully in uh, to Alcoholics Anonymous at that point. I had gone from what I thought was going to be um, just pretty much the rest of my life, drinking, drugging, wine, cheating. I mean, you name it. Um, I was doing it. I was a habitual sinner um, without um, any understanding that I was sinning. At, at any point, I didn't. I, I didn't understand the concept of sinning, and if someone would have explained it to me, I probably would have argued an intellectual argument towards how that's not a sin; that's some humanistic reason. Um, so, um, 
and where I'm going with that is that so over the next, I, I spent ten years in Alcoholics Anonymous uh, between Oregon uh, and Florida. Uh, during that time, uh, numerous things happened. My son was diagnosed with a rare neurological disease. Um, he stopped speaking uh, for a couple of years. He was having seizures. Wow. He was on he- heavy medication. His mother overdosed um, uh, on amphetamines and uh, basically uh, flatlined um, for 30 seconds. I competed in bodybuilding shows. I was, let's see, just there was so much that went on in this 10-year period. But the the time that was spent in AA was always um, short-lived, meaning it would be a year to nine months um or possibly 30 days or um, just it was sporadic, but it was always a part of my life. Um, and anytime I was away from Alcoholics Anonymous, I always had this feeling like I had to go back. Um, and I think that's part of the, the, the game or, or their game, which is to really get you into a place where you feel like you cannot live without Alcoholics Anonymous. And the reason I say that is because Towards the end, I would say uh, this was about two and a half years ago. I uh, went through something where uh, it just really broke me down morally. I, I had had bottoms. Um, I was called a low bottom drunk in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous because I would essentially drink and lose everything uh, job, family, and just all be gone. Um, so, this a couple, about two and a half years ago, I, or two years ago, I take that back. My son um, was removed from the home. Um, I was drinking, and his mom took him from the house while I was drinking and uh, put him on a plane and left from Florida to Portland, Oregon. And I spent the next two days basically drinking. Something happened that day where I realized that I wasn't fighting to go get my son, my um, alcoholism, uh, at that point, and I'm saying this in retrospect with the alcoholism because I, I, I do not believe I'm, it was alcoholism. I do believe it is sin. But during that time, I thought I was dealing with alcoholism. And uh, I started, it, it, things just got totally out of hand at that point. My business uh, was failing. Uh, I could barely uh, hold anything together. And at the time, having my son removed took all of my purpose away from me. He was really the only thing that was holding me together and when that happened uh i just pretty much fell apart i checked myself into a uh, facility in florida it was a five-day detox where they hook you up to ivs and uh, give you all these um, uh, homeopathic remedies and it was just another uh, very expensive uh place to go to basically recover from uh, all my drinking and detox and i probably did need it at that point but in any case, I was in there, and I made a decision while I was in there during those five days. It was over Christmas, and it was on Christmas two years ago. Uh, I made a decision that day that I was going to fully give myself to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was going to find myself the baddest uh, Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor there is out there. And and I, I what I found and what I did was I found a man in Alcoholics Anonymous um, that would be if anybody that's been to AA knows that there's certain, um, there's kind of a hierarchy that takes place in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, if you're if you're a, uh, a 
biker and you're a reformed biker, or if you never were a biker and you decided to become a biker after joining AA, um, the guys with the leather jackets and the triangles, the symbols for Alcoholics Anonymous, the uh, also with the patches of the cross, um, sometimes even scripture um, on their their biking jackets. These are pretty much the heavy hitters as far as uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, meaning guys that maybe were in prison for long periods of time and turned their lives around. So I uh, decided that's what I needed. And it was uh, the worst two years of my life. I spent the next two years being told what to do, how to do it. Um, Chad, you had mentioned before um, hearing of people having uh, their bank accounts being taken uh, a hold of. Uh, mm-hmm. My sponsor d- during that time did, in fact, suggest that he needed to do that because I was not to be trusted, is the way he put it. Um, anytime I came to him with um, a problem, a situation that I was, you know, lost in, uh, I was told to stop thinking. Um, you think too much. You're too intelligent. You need to dumb it down. Uh, keep it simple. You know, all these mantras, uh, slogans that come from AA and some of the ones that aren't on the tables of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, I used, uh, I used to hear him tell people, you know, your mind is, is like a bad neighborhood. You should never go there alone. Yeah. It's that know, kind of things told, they try I, to I convince told, you of. I was told don't make any decisions without parental guidance, meaning don't do anything unless you call me first. So yeah. I was – this – particular sponsor one of the requirements and he said right up front is a do not lie to me um as a, in the position of uh god um do not lie to me so his commandments i guess you could say it uh, the second one was you have to call me every day and then the third one is that he's going to have me do things that i don't want to do i think was how he put it um and i just spent those two years desperately following everything that I could uh, to keep up with this man, but still, without anyone knowing, I was drinking behind closed doors. I was separated from my son. I was in a tremendous amount of pain. Um, I I was completely lost. I was, uh, you know, going into 42 years of age. I was now living at my mom's house. I was just... All the things that society on paper would say, you're you're a loser. I mean, that's the, the simple way to put it, I guess. Um, and I was feeling a lot of that, but I also knew um, that there was something uh, pulling me in a direction that I wasn't quite sure of. And what I mean by that is, during that time, uh, this particular man was uh, that was my sponsor was also an ordained minister claimed professed to be a Christian man and I would come to him with questions um, and a lot of the questions had to do with God and with Christ and the reason was the way I looked at the program and the and what he was implying to me was that you know this is really about um, something bigger and the, the impression I had was I don't even probably need to go to meetings anymore I'm that cured so I was interested, and so I remember at times, I at one point I said, you know, I, I want to read the Bible, where would I start? And he, I was told not to read the Bible. I was told that that's not something you need to do, don't worry about that, it's too advanced for you, you don't even know anything about not drinking. 
just, I mean, just over and over every time I came with what I thought was a, you know, again, going back, my parents, um, intellectual, um, in the sense that they always showed me how to dig a little deeper, um, see what, see what's underneath there. Use, you know, your critical thinking, things that, um, I, gifts that were given to me by, uh, God. I do believe they're gifts because I have been able to discern through a lot of this and see AA for what it is. Um, and I believe today it is a satanic uh, cult. And what I mean by that is not a bunch of men worshiping Satan, but the idea that anything outside of worshiping God and Christ is idolatry. And there's some serious wickedness that's taken place in AA, but this man led me down a road that um, eventually I was told on uh, this, would, this would be September 26th of this year. I was told uh, that on the 29th, I believe that's the way this works out, on the 29th, no, I'm sorry, it would have been the 27th, um, which would have been a Friday, that um, I was going to be going on a men's retreat for Alcoholics Anonymous. Or I'm sorry, it was a, called Matt Talbot, um, and it was an all men's retreat. I had been on one before. Um, it, it was a very uh, unusual three days of first time I went. Um, there was things that took place there that maybe I'll elaborate on later as far as um, treating the younger men a certain way. Uh, very strange. So in any case, I was supposed to go on this uh, retreat, and the reason for it was that uh, my son's birthday was on the 26th of September and uh, I had already kind of professed that, uh, you know, I have a hard time on his birthdays, you know, under that idea that I can't control this. And this is just, if I'm not protected by these men, I'm going to probably drink. So um, what ended up happening is my son's birthday was on a Thursday, the 26th. Uh, I ended up uh, drinking that night. And it continued on the 27th and my sponsor called me and I didn't answer. Um, on Saturday, um, continued drinking. I was basically drinking, falling asleep, waking up and drinking. And I was all basically all alone. Uh, there was nobody around. And, uh, and that's the way just to back up a little bit. That's kind of the way I, my, my drink always ended was I called it, um, it was suicidal drinking, meaning I would stop eating and I would drink for days and days and days and just not eat. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, that's just the way I did it. And, um, I would say things in the alcoholics anonymous, like, Oh, I was too chicken to do it. Um, and making light of something, uh, that I didn't realize was actually happening. Um, was so close to taking me to that place. And I've said, um, also too, that, um, there was points in my drinking where I had already made peace with the fact that my son may not have a father. If I continued drinking, it got that bad that I really had almost come to a place of peace with that. And what I'll say today is that, um, I'm in a place where if I lose my son, I would have peace in that because of, uh, what has happened. Um, my salvation being reborn, understanding what's actually going on with me and what's happened. But to just get back to that, that uh, weekend, um, that Sunday, I did the same thing. I woke up 
started drinking and I was driving to uh, the liquor store and without knowing um, I was involved in an accident, a traffic accident. I did not cause it. Um, I was blindsided, uh, T-boned and I was spun around in the 360 and when I kind of came back to, I stepped out of my vehicle and um, the woman that had ran into me um, came up to me and said, I can smell alcohol, you're, you're, you're drunk and I just remember all I said was I'm an alcoholic and uh, I went and sat down on the curb I asked her if she was okay I sat down on the curb and uh, the police came and they said drunk and I said yes I'm an alcoholic and they said what do you need I said well I, I, I need I need to go to the hospital right now because I'm I feel like I need some water I haven't drank any water in days and I've just been drinking and I'm, I really feel in bad shape and these police officers took me to this uh uh, hospital here in uh, Florida and took me in and they drew my blood. I, I allowed them to do that. I was not fighting this, uh, the idea that I was responsible. There was something that was telling me this is it. Um, you know, all the other bottoms may not have been, uh, this, but this something was going on. Um, I was, uh, somewhat, uh, calm at this point laying in the hospital um, there was a police officer there with me that um, I've had communication with since that day because I really, um, I, I don't believe that humans are angels, but this man was angelic in the sense that he stood there with me and uh, basically just said, you're going to be all right. He had a cross around his neck and he just reminded me that, you know, you're going to be all right. You know what you need to do. Um, and in any case, uh, they took my blood. And uh, I, in order for me to be uh, released, I had to have someone pick me up. If not, they were going to Baker Act me. And what that means, I don't know if they have that uh, in Idaho, but uh, here in Florida, it's basically it, they put you in a place for 72 hours. They check you out. It's a pretty oh, yeah. horrific. It's pretty bad. Um, and he said, you know, if you can't get anyone, I can't drive you home. So, you know, somebody will have to take you and, and check you in and, I ended up calling the one man I didn't want to call, which was a close friend of mine who was a Christian man uh, who went to church, um, and that's what I knew of him. He was a close friend to me, but I didn't know much more about his religious beliefs other than he went to church and he professed to be a Christian. Uh, I called him that evening, and I said, could you come pick me up? And he said, yes, I'll, I'll be there to pick you up, and which he did. And uh, this is where things get a little, um, where I get, like uh, I still get almost nervous to talk about it because I'm still replaying kind of what happens sometimes in my head. But he drove me back to to my house, and he of course asked me, "Is you know, is there any alcohol in the house?" And I said, "No." Uh, at that point, I, I remember even thinking, once he leaves, I should probably just call an Uber and just go get some more alcohol. What's it going to hurt? I mean, I'm already this is it. You know, I mean, that thought was even going through my head, but also the thought of like, maybe this is it, maybe something else is going on. And what he said to me was, uh, you know, when you get inside, maybe you should listen to some music or I don't know what you need to do to calm down. And this man is not an alcoholic. He's never dealt with uh, addiction um, as far as I know. And one thing he said to me, though, is he said, maybe you need to pick up the Bible and read some scripture. And at the moment, um, yeah, I went right back to when I was 12 years old, when I was finding out about my grandfather um, dying, and that 
anger. Um, uh, just, I remember feeling angry at the moment, but also I remember this feeling of, um, why is, why did he, why did he say it? And why does this seem like it's such a big deal to me right now? So in any case, that's where it ended on that Sunday night. Um, so, uh, anyways, uh, that night, um, I ended up, uh, just going to bed, uh, half drunk, uh, obviously shaken up, um, really not understanding what happened, not understanding, uh, why that accident took place because, uh, that's another thing I left out is that the officers, because of me being drunk, assumed I caused the accident. Um, even though I had been, uh, T-boned and obviously she had run into me and why that's important. I'll get into it a little bit later. <laughs> hmm. Um, but in any case, so that Monday I, I woke and, um, I was, re- I just really shaken up and I called my sponsor, um, after this weekend that I missed, uh, he had, you know, responded to me and I called him and he picked up and, uh, I just remember it was kind of like calling my dad. I mean, he was just really upset with me. Um, I told him what happened. He was even more upset and, um, he said to me, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, I know what you need to do. He said, you need to go into this program at the Salvation Army. Um, it's Celebrate Recovery. And he said, it's four months. This is what you need to do. And I knew of this program because my son's mother had been in the same program for four months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that it, it did make a change in her life. But I also got to see what was happening in this place and what the place there. And I just certainly didn't feel with what was going on that I was ready for that. And that was met with great resistance. I was basically told if I don't follow what he's saying, he's done sponsoring me. It's over basically for me in AA is the way he put it. You might as well not come back. And I just remember feeling, um, you know, really, really alone. You know, now I'm really lost. You know, now I, I've really, really worn out this AA thing. And as far as I've been told up to this point, this is the only way to get sober. I knew the the modern, uh, you know, beach recovery places were full of shit from day one. Mm-hmm. Pardon my French. Uh, or pardon <laughs> Excuse me. It's the real world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, and then also, too, uh, you know, it just the idea that you're paying $15,000 to get sober and they're also uh, going to probably put you on Xanax and this and that. I mean, it's just a, at that time when I was going through, uh, you know, the alternative modern recovery, it was booming and it was like a free for all. I even took a feng shui class um, while I was in a rehab facility. I mean, that's how crazy it got, but it's, it's once I found, uh, yeah, I'll interrupt real quick. It really is like, the ultimate business model because you charge people 15 grand a week. You get them into this program. You throw them out on the street. They relapse. They come back. You blame it on them for not working a good enough program. And then you charge them again and run them back through it. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I saw so many things that took place in those places that made me realize. And as a matter of fact, once I got into Alcoholics Anonymous and found my, place in AA where I, you know, was finally, a, you know, making coffee at the meetings and doing these things. I was doing quote unquote service work. Yeah. Um, you know, once, once I got in there, I would say things like, you know, um, 
you know, those, those, those modern recovery places, you know, and I, I, I would bash these modern recovery places, not realizing what was happening to me in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Again, further leading me to the point where once, you know, once this day unfolded and I was in this traffic accident and I realized that, um, my sponsor no longer wanted anything to do with me. And again, he, this man is well known, teaches classes. Uh, he's a, he was considered an ordained minister. Everybody looked up to him. Uh, they asked him to speak at different meetings around Florida, things of that nature. Um, and here I was now completely lost. Um, and the only thing that kept going through my head over the next, it was 36 hours basically, uh, from that point on Monday, um, which was the 1st of October, I believe, then, or the 30th. But uh, from that point on, the next 36 hours uh, was spent in bed. Uh, I did not eat. I sometimes look back at it as was like an almost uh, involuntary like fasting period. So let's, um, so let's be clear. So this, have, this is yes. like three months ago. Yes. Okay, just so people understand. This was, yeah, this was, three, this was <laughs> three months ago. Um, so, uh, during that time, um, I was basically laying in a, in, in my bed in the fetal position. Um, I was in and out of, I couldn't tell if it was sleep or uh, not sleep. It was, there was errors. I remember, uh, there was no voices. There was no, uh, visual like face. There was no hand of God. There was no white light. There was nothing like that. Um, but I do remember just feeling terrified on some level. Um, I was, um, I just felt like something was, was coming to a head almost in the same way, uh, you know, when you're about to physically vomit. It was like I was spiritually at this point where I did not understand what I, where I was at, what was going on. I had no concept of if it was, uh, you know, noon or five in the afternoon. Um, and I just remember, um, hearing the word scripture in between all this, all, and also too, there was what I would describe as, um, it almost seemed like there was like a, like a ghost or something that was flying in circles. It was very strange. Um, so, and, and I, I, I just have to tell you as, as it was, I mean, this is the truth. This is the way mm -hmm. I remember it. Um, Sure. So the word scripture just kept going scripture, scripture, scripture to the point where I remember laying in bed and taking the palm of my right hand and kind of hitting myself in the temple. Like, stop, stop, just stop saying scripture. Um, so fast forward through that to basically Wednesday morning. So from Monday at around noon to about Wednesday uh, morning around night. And I, I had been through um, long bouts of drinking with not eating and what it takes to get back on your feet. You know, you need food. You got to eat bananas and rice and, you know, take it easy. And my stomach was in really bad shape uh, normally during periods like this. But I woke up on Wednesday at 9 o'clock and uh, um, mm -hmm. also I get a little choked up even thinking about how this all went. Uh, I got down uh, on my knees in my bedroom and I put my palms and my hands out to the side and I 
four words that I said. And I sat there with my heels to my butt. And I just tears, happy tears, joyful, these tears of contentment. I felt uh, warm. I felt um, as if uh, that moment when, you know, you're a kid and you're really scared and your, your dad or your mom is there to just put their hand on you and let you know it's going to be okay no matter what. It's going to, you're, you're okay from here on out. Um, and I just remember just this feeling rushing through me. And uh, right after that, the very first word that came into my head again was scripture. And this time, for some reason, I just picked up the Bible and I started reading from Genesis. I could barely get through a page before I was back, like, on my knees, begging, begging for forgiveness because I was just taken, blown, blown away that what I read in just that first page of Genesis, it was like, it just... It felt like I was reading something that had been, I'd been fighting my whole life that I just did not want to face. I did not want to open the Bible and find out that everything that I knew in my soul, in my gut, every time I did something wrong, that it, that's what it was mm-hmm. that I was sinning. And I didn't understand it. I thought I had the disease of alcoholism. I thought I was. This isn't that it isn't. I thought I, you know, just maybe uh, was bipolar. Maybe, I, I mean, all these different words that came up, and it was just three letters. I was sin, and I was dying in sin, and I was lost. I was so lost. You know, and, um, what ended up happening was that as I read over the next two days, I was praying. Um, for whatever reason, I was being guided to certain portions of the New Testament, um, I wasn't following any um, pattern, um, but I was reading things um, that were just giving me hope and inspiration. Um, and those things, as weird as it sounds, were all things that were about the idea that I was sinning to to my Creator. Mm-hmm. And it just it was blowing me away. I just it, the concept that that was what was really happening, and uh, all of a sudden, all the the confusion started going away as far as what was happening with me is, you know, my whole life. And the very first thing I did was I, um, knew of a man that was in celebrate recovery, um, and said, stop going to AA. And so I frantically called him and I said, can I talk to you and meet with you? And, um, I'm sorry. I did not know he was in celebrate recovery. I was just told that he had gotten sober through Christ. Um, a couple years prior to that. Mm-hmm. So I reached out and he met me for lunch and I said, how did you do this? I mean, are you really, well, I mean, are you like in Christ alone? And he said, yeah. He said, I go to celebrate recovery. And I remember there was a kind of a feeling like, well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like I knew very little about celebrate recovery, but what I was reading in scripture was telling me that Christ alone was sufficient. Mm-hmm. That, the idea of having to work 12 steps that God himself didn't command of us. I mean, it just wasn't adding up. Something was wrong uh, with, with that. And so uh, at that point, I was still uh, not convinced, I guess, com- 
that I was okay. There was something that was telling me maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I have completely uh, lost my mind. And I, I, I was at that point. Um, and the reason I say that is because my whole life prior to that had told me that uh, if, if you can't see it, feel it, uh, it's not real. Um, so I was really kind of still at a point of like, I understood what was happening, but I also wanted to make sure it was a kind of like, can you, can you pinch me or poke me so I can tell you, yeah, I can still that. Um, mm-hmm. so I reached, reached out to, um, uh, my friend who, uh, came and picked me up that Saturday or Sunday evening. I reached out to him and said, you know, can I talk to the pastor at the, your church? And he said, yeah. So I reached out to the pastor um, at this church and um, here in Venice, and uh, I went and uh, met with him, and he had never met me before, and I walked in. I explained to him in a very short way kind of what I just explained to you, um, and I just looked at him, and I said, am I okay? Is this really happening? Am I, I, I knew I was receiving something, but I just was, am I okay? Like, what, what is this? Is this really what I think it is? And his response to me was, I think that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you pray for me? I was blown away at that point. I didn't, I, you know, here, here I'm, you know, really, like I almost wanted him to just say, maybe, maybe, uh, I, I don't know what I was looking for, but it, it further pushed me, um, into, uh, scripture. And what I found um, since that over these last, well, actually, let me go back to that. So what ended up happening is that I just continued to further investigate the idea of Christ being sufficient and this Alcoholics Anonymous thing. And further and further that I, you know, went into it. And I was still going to meetings. So I would go to a meeting. I would hear things that just did not add up to me. I'd go back and hold it up to, as you said, to the light of Scripture and it just, it not only did it not add up, it was blatantly the opposite direction. And um, folks, folks, and, one thing and, I want to, I want to say here, this is how the Holy Spirit works. Jesus said the Spirit will lead you into all truth. What Ben experienced was the veil being removed, his eyes and his heart and his spirit being opened to the truth of Scripture. That's what the Holy Spirit does so so what we're witnessing with what ben sharing is what the holy spirit does which is so important nowadays when you've got so many churches that have no understanding of that because they think the holy spirit is a circus act you know the the new apostolic reformation bethel these deliverance ministries this is how the holy spirit works so continue ben i just wanted to put that in there yeah yeah well and and on a side note um up until I mean, up until even three months ago, I like, you know, I had heard of people before, maybe on television or, you know, uh, you need Jesus. You know, I remember hearing that growing up, things like that. And, well, I got saved through Christ. And to me, that was just something that was um, a joke or, you know, that must be something that you see on uh, uh, like a televised sermon. Um, is That's all I could add it up to prior to this. But. I'm standing here right now talking to you on the phone and this is, this is real. This has happened to me. The obsession of drinking, of drugging, of lying, all these things, um, has been lifted. Does that mean that I still don't have, uh, sinful thoughts today? I do have sinful thoughts today, but it's, 
compartmentalize under the idea that I understand the gospel of Christ. And the, the way I got that, and, and this is where I'm leading into you, Chad, is that through my investigation, I found further and further that um, just from step one, um, you know, admitting we're an alcoholic, our lives have become unmanageable. I mean, step two, I started going through the steps and it just wasn't adding up. And so I, I got on um, the internet. Uh, which I don't do very much of. I'm not an internet guy. Um, I just have always kind of known that there's a lot of evil, uh, a lot of uh, human disgust that takes place on the internet, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I happened to look out, and what I Google searched was, is I, I believe it was his AA or 12-step programs, satanic uh, or cult. And along with numerous other websites and numerous links to YouTube. Ben, repeat that if you don't mind that cut out. Was I breaking up? Yeah. Oh, here. You said you Google, just explain what you Google searched. Okay, so so I I Google searched, um, is Alcoholics Anonymous or 12-step programs satanic? Um, that was the Google search. And I went into this just for anyone that's listening. Uh, I'm one of these people that if I do search something on the internet, I will look at 15 different, uh, variations or articles. I'll go further into it just so I can kind of discern and make a rational decision on where the truth may lie or not. Um, no pun intended. Uh, but in any case, uh, as I'm, researching it and going through I went to a couple of different links on YouTube and there was some people that I could see were uh, pointing to AA as being satanic uh, in the sense that maybe they just really didn't like being there or maybe they just picked up on something that I didn't pick up on right away um, and then I clicked on uh, the way uh, r122.org and from the very first page I started reading um, you know, what, what your experience was. I didn't go to your testimonial. I just basically read through all your archive stuff on your, your website. Mm-hmm. And it was the same way I read scripture. It was like every word just was made sense to me. I was reading it in a way that, um, it, it, it was almost, again, um, that spooky feeling that I had. When I met my first sponsor, that re- I just related totally to what you were saying. But what what I found was um, I was still drawn to what you had to say. But it was the scripture that you were putting in there that was pointing and showing me the defense of Christ and what Christ can do f- for us and what He has done for us. Um, it, it just further pushed me into it and I couldn't deny it anymore. Um, all the things that I kind of went, Oh, well, it's just, you know, maybe it's this or maybe it's that, or maybe AA is just all about money. I don't know. But, um, the further I went into it, the more I realized, um, I don't think I could be a part of this anymore. Um, as far as Alcoholics Anonymous or any 12 step program of that nature or any nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also at a point too where I thought, what about my fellow man? What about this? What about my fellow man that's in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that's just like me 
that's blinded? How come, uh, you know, the questions of how come my eyes and ears have been opened and I see the truth and all these thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people every day march into these rooms and are participating in Satanism. Um, and, and, and again, too, the viewers out there, it feels weird for me to even say the word Satanism. That was as unbelievable to me as the idea of what happened to me on September 29th of 2018. And I, I was and I, not a believer. I, think, I was not a believer in any of this. And I think people need to understand, Satanism doesn't mean they're sacrificing chickens and children and everything. Huh. It's satanic because it's antichrist. And it's lies. Satan is the father of lies. And AA directly contradicts the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I can interject for anybody that's not familiar with some of the stuff on our website, this information's there. Uh, Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, claimed that he was completing the works that Christ didn't finish. That's in his uh, a letter that he wrote to his secretary. And then on page 58 of the book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, which goes along with the big book, it's, uh, it says, uh, our moral inventory had persuaded us that all round forgiveness was desirable, but it was only when we resolutely tackled step five, we inwardly knew we'd be able to receive forgiveness and give it to. So AA in multiple places, in the 12 and 12, in the big book, in other uh, AA publications, teaches that you can be forgiven of your sins, that you can have recon- that you can be reconciled to your creator, and Jesus is no part of it. So it is satanic because it's directly in contradiction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. And, 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 and this is, um, this is, uh, where outside of just reading the gospel and, and scripture, uh, maybe it's because of what I, I went through, but I, I do have some anger. Like you had mentioned, I have some anger towards Alcoholics Anonymous because, I don't know short of what happened to me that I would not have died in Alcoholics Anonymous under the satanic beliefs. Um, it, it's it's such a dangerous program for people out there that don't understand what they're getting into. It's um, something I thought I would never say. I used to hear people even mention in meetings like, "Oh, it's uh, this," you know, people say it's a cult, and I would just go, "There's no way. This is a God program." That's what I thought. This was a, and, and let me also say this. Part of the reason I stayed in Alcoholics Anonymous was because I knew from the beginning, like I said, I knew there was something when I, once I even had the idea that there, there was a God that opened me up. And then where I'm at today is what I like to say is I was introduced to the concept of God through Alcoholics Anonymous and then walked steadily towards the gates of hell without any clue that that's what was happening to me. Hey, Ben, um, let's do this. We're at an hour, and that last yeah. that last statement is a perfect segue. Yeah, yeah. What I'd like to do, if you're up for it, is we'll do this in two episodes. So I hope you were as blessed by Ben's testimony as I was, and I hope you'll uh, come back and listen to episode two. Like I said, hopefully that will be out in about a week, and I have a lot of questions for Ben. Uh, there's so much still to discuss, um, so much for him to share, so I'm real excited to continue speaking with him, so please tune back in for episode two. You've been listening to The Way Radio Podcast. This is Pastor Chad Prigmore. You can find us on the web at thewayradio.net. If you'd like to email me, you can email me at chad at the way, 
the letter R122.org. Also, we are very much in need of support. Um, Our ministry is growing radically, which is an awesome blessing. We also do a lot of work in Kenya. I will be going back there uh, in less than two months in March. And there's much work to do there. So I would ask that you please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. It is fully engaged in the gospel, the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're so excited about that. If you'd like to help us, you can go to our main website, uh, the way, the letter R122.org. And there's a button right there on the website to donate. There's a there's a page to make a donation. And that's the way, the letter R122.org. So please listen in next time when we hear more from Ben. And until then, God bless you.